So if you brought a Bible, uh, turn with me to 1 Peter 2, and uh, we'll continue our study here at 1 Peter. Uh, if you were with us a fortnight ago, we read this same text, uh, and uh, we, we looked at some points from it. Uh, we talked about uh, the need that we have to, to open our eyes and, and see the invaluable treasure we have that is Jesus as this cornerstone, this, this intricate piece of, of building your life, uh, you know, and that we need to see him as he is uh, of incredible value to not see him as, as a stone to be rejected, but rather to see him as a stone to be cherished uh, and not just cherished, but to, to build your life on him, to stand on him uh, rather than stumble over him. Now, that's a great text, and it was, you know, hopefully you, you enjoyed looking at that. We're going to read the same text, though, and, and look at the practical uh, kind of outworkings of what does that mean for us, though? You know, how, how does this, you know, if we, if we do fix our eyes on, on Jesus and see the value of him, how does that change us? You know, and, and so we're talking this afternoon about our identity. Right? And we, we are a radically diverse group. And you can see that by, by scrolling through all the different pictures. Uh, very, very diverse. Uh, but, but all of us have a common bond in Christ in that he is ultimately the largest factor that determines who we are and our sense of worth as people and as individuals. Uh, and so let's read here in First Peter 2 uh, and, uh, and take notes of the, the, the things that, that Peter has to remind us of who we are in Christ Jesus. Amen. So let's start reading here. First Peter chapter two, uh, verse one, he says, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up on your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the, disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you are not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from the simple desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Great, great passage. Let's have a prayer and then uh, let's dig into this together. Uh, Heavenly Father, we, uh, we do thank you. We, we thank you that you are this, this precious stone. Uh, we, we, we thank you that, that God, in your infinite wisdom, you chose Jesus before the creation of the world uh, to save us, to redeem us, to give us a new purpose, uh, a new mission. Uh, and God, we, we, we do thank you so, so much for that gift. 
We pray that you help us this afternoon as we consider Peter's words uh, to uh, form our identity in, in our lives uh, as you would have us to, to, to be, God. Help us in this endeavor, God. We know it is a challenge uh, that we need so much grace, so much mercy, so much forgiveness along the way, God. Help us in this, and may your spirit guide us as we go. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Hopefully you, uh, you picked up the, the two main things that are pretty plain. They're, they're in the text uh, of what we are, of who we are, and that we are priests, a royal priesthood, which is a great, great concept. Uh, and then secondly, that idea that we're foreigners and exiles, which is probably summed up uh, as, as being permanent residents, as we understand that in, in Australia. So we'll look at the, the, these two things uh, a little bit more closely, what it means to be uh, a priest in service to God, uh, and secondly, what, what, what does it mean to, to live a life here and now as if we are permanent residents, which some of us actually are, right? Uh, so let's look, look, look first here at the priest, right? And again, if you're familiar with the, the Bible, the, the idea of a priesthood is, is a pretty uh, major theme that runs throughout the Bible. So, you know, two times in our text alone, we, we're reminded that we, hey, we are a priesthood, right? That, that we are meant to be uh, collectively a priesthood that offers spiritual sacrifices to God, that we are that his, his chosen people, uh, and that royal priesthood. And then, again, great concepts. And, and two of the main texts, there, there are many, many texts in the Old Testament that, that Peter is perhaps drawing on uh, for this concept, but, but two of the big ones would, would probably be that of Genesis 12, which is the, the, the call of, of Abram, uh, and God's plan for his life, where, where God tells Abram, I will make you, right? He's going to be the future Israel. He says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. It's a tremendous promise that, that, that God gives to Abram, you know, basically telling him that, that Abram, you're going to be, uh, you know, the, the touchstone for people. You're going to be the conduit through, through whom God is going to work uh, to, to reach the world. Uh, and, and their response, you know, will, will uh, determine the outcome, right? That, that God is calling Abram uh, not just for his own good, but he's going to bless him so that he will be a blessing. And, and by by extension, if people reject him, then there'll be consequences for that, right? But God's plan is to work through, through, through Abram. And so some sense, even Abram there is, is a model of this priesthood that would come. Now, you know, Abram, <laughs> Abram's, as you know, if you've read the story of Abram, he's given lofty promises about being made into a nation. Uh, his uh, his uh, uh, reproduction rate, though, of course, is limiting, you know, and and centuries go by uh, without Israel being a nation, you know, 400 some odd years, uh, you know, even after, you know, um, uh, Abram's distant relative Joseph journeys into Egypt along with his whole family, uh, do they get called out, right? Uh, and, and in Exodus 19, we, we read this, these verses four to six. Uh, and we need to understand, this is what Peter is talking about. When Peter is, is quoting here in chapter 2, he, here is the Old Testament passage he, he, he is, is, is having in his mind. He's, and he tells the Israelites there. In Exodus 19, Moses tells the Israelites, he says, You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. 
although the, her the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests. And then, you know, there's phenomenal imagery in, the, in this passage. You know, this idea of God rescuing his people out of Egypt is that of an eagle carrying them, you know, carrying and looking after the young and, and, and the vulnerable. And, you know, at this point, God has already, he's already rescued them. He's already saved them. They've already been redeemed. They've passed through the waters. Uh, and they're there at the, at the mount, uh, you know, and, and they get this incredible mission statement for what God wants to do with them. That they will be his treasured possession and that they will be a kingdom of priests. All of Israel, the whole nation, originally in intent was meant to be a kingdom of priests. Now we know that the, you, know, you end up with the Levitical class within, within Israel that, that literally serves uh, at the temple as priests, but it's important to see that, that from the beginning, God's, God's mission was for all of his people to be priests, to be a bridge between God and, and, and mankind, uh, to be like Abraham was promised to be, to be that conduit of God's blessing coming to the whole earth. Uh, for the whole earth is God's, and, and, and the priesthood was meant to function as, in a way uh, to, to bless the entire world. Now, if you read the Old Testament, you can see pretty clearly uh, Israel uh, doesn't do a great job of this. Shortly after being declared priests, they become priests of a different god, uh, making a, 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 an idol uh, out of the gold they'd plundered from, from Egypt, you know, and it is, a, it, is a, it is a rocky road, but that was what God's intent for them was to be, is those priests. And that priesthood is the background for what Peter is talking about here. And you think about, you know, we, we, we think about priests, and I think we, we tend to recoil a little bit from it, uh, especially if you've been raised in, in a Catholic background, and you get this idea of a you know, of a guy in a white robe, you know, swinging, swinging a thing of incense around, uh, you know, and splashing water on babies, or if they're Russian Orthodox, or, you know, literally, you know, baptized, you know, submersive, submersing babies in water. It, again, we got to kind of throw out all those images, and maybe perhaps all that baggage that we have, and really try to get back to, hey, well, what it, when the Bible talks about priesthood, well, what's it talking about? You know, and I think there's probably three pretty clear things here in, in, in our text, and in the New Testament as a whole, that tell us, hey, here, here's what it means to be part of God's priesthood. Here's how the church is meant to fulfill that promise that was given to Abram, that, that, that mission statement that was always for God's people, as, as Moses gave that to, to, to the Israelites there at the Mount, that this is, we, we are meant to be the fulfillment of that as the church. Right? And so th three very quick kind of subpoints in this idea of priesthood is, one, there is no way to avoid the reality that it is plural. It is plural. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, right? A holy nation. That it is, it is collective, right? That there isn't, as the Catholics perhaps have, you know, as the Catholics have, uh, you know, a chosen class of people within the subset of the Christian of Christianity that are serving as priests. No, no, no. Everyone. Everyone functions as priests. We are all collectively this priesthood. And this is one of the great passages to, to try to help, you know, if someone has that background to correct that idea that it's not a chosen subclass. It is everyone. Everyone is a priesthood. And, and secondly, under this idea of it's, if it's plural, you know, it doesn't just debunk kind of the Catholic viewpoint, 
but it also forces us to not buy into the lie of our cultural era of the, the, uh, the chief thing in life is the individual. It's our function as Christians and our fulfillment of our mission statement to be a royal priesthood demands community. It requires us to live in close proximity to one another. Uh, there is no way to, to, to get away from that. Uh, there is no idea, there is no New Testament basis for, for being a Lone Ranger Christian, going off, doing your own thing, trying to, to just be a Christian all by yourself. We need community. We need one another. We need one another with all the flaws, with all the bumps and all, all the irritations that come with it. Uh, because when we function in community, the, the, the beauty is that we become like sandpaper for one, one another. And we rub off the, the, the hard and, and, and abrasive aspects of our character. And we shape one another. We mold one another as we bear with one another, speaking the truth with one another. And, and all the you know, hundreds of other one another passages that we find in the New Testament uh, you know, that, that emphasize the plurality of the fellowship that we are meant to have. Now, this has been obviously enormously strained with the, rest with the restrictions. Praise God that tomorrow we can start meeting in groups of 20, uh, you know, but, but, but for many, many people, uh, the, the forced isolation uh, restrictions have strained relationships. And we got to make sure that, that we, you know, each of us has a deep conviction that, hey, we are in this together. And we need to push uh, and make a great deal of effort to maintain that con connection that we have with one another. As so many great passages tell us, you know, whether it's 1 Corinthians 12, talking about how we are, we are very different and very diverse, but we are one and we need to function as one. Secondly, when you think about this idea of being a priesthood is, is and again, for sure, in the Jewish mindset, priesthood uh, emphasize this idea of privileged access to God. Privileged access to God, right? The, the, the priests were always meant to be that bridge between people and God. And, and, and the priests, as a byproduct then, had the closeness, had the relationship with God uh, so that they could then bring others in, into that relationship. And one of my favorite passages on this is in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 22. You don't need to flip there, but of course you can if you want. But, but there, the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great, high, great priest over the, over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. You know, I love this passage. I love this reminder that, you know what, as God's priesthood, you know, we, we, have, we have every right to enter the most holy of holies, which is if we were all living in the first century and, and, and Herod's temple was still standing, uh, you know, because obviously the Romans destroyed it in 70 AD, but, you know, I mean, if we were living in that period and we were part of Israel and the priesthood there, uh, the priests, in, in, you know, again, within the subset of, of Israel, you know, they had privilege. They had privilege to, 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 to serve and to work in the temple. Uh, you know what? But, but only one a year could enter the most holy place. And he for sure, that, 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 that high priest chosen, chosen by lot, as he entered, 
would not enter with confidence. You know, the, 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 the folklore, again, whether it's true or not, but sounds really cool, is that they would tie a rope around the ankle of the high priest when he would go into the, to the, to the Holy of Holies uh, on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, uh, where he would go in, the high priest, and he would sprinkle all, you know, everything that's in there behind the curtain in the Holy of Holies with blood uh, to make atonement for the sins of the people. And, and you think about that, that for, for Peter's readers, I mean, they understood that. They remembered that, 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 that ritual and, and that it wasn't with confidence that, 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 that the high priest would enter. It was with fear and trembling. But the writer of Hebrews tells us, look, you can enter with confidence into the presence of God. We don't need to be like our forefather Adam and Eve hiding in the bush, afraid of God. No, no, we can have confidence to have fellowship with God. That's a tremendous privilege that we have uh, as Christians, as the priesthood of God, to be able to draw near to him with no fear, without trembling, but rather with confidence uh, and enjoying the, the, the closeness we can have. You know, that, that's an incredible thing. And I think, man, how, how, many, how many more quiet times would we have if we really understood what a privileged thing it is to open up the word of God, to read it and to understand it, and to go and to pray to him? And have that transparency in that relationship. You know, it's a privileged position we have uh, as God's priesthood. Thirdly, under the idea of priesthood, what else do we find is, you know, it, it was a purposeful role. Just like Abram was told that he is going to be blessed so he could be a blessing, so it is true with us. That we are brought into community, which is awesome, and at the same time sometimes irritating, but overall it's awesome to, to be in community. And that we are given not just great access to one another, but man, we're given even greater access to God. Uh, and that's a privileged thing. That, that those two privileges are not just meant to be too enjoyed for ourselves and, and for us to become like black holes and just take, 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 take. That God has called us to be priests and he's given us tasks that we are meant to fulfill. You know, so many times, not, not just here in our text in, in verse 12, as you can see on the screen there, uh, does that encompass your whole life? Uh, but also Romans 12, verse 1 is a great passage that, that emphasizes that, 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 that same concept. As Paul says, look, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. You know, the old preacher joke is, you know, what's, what's the difficult thing about a living sacrifice is it continually climbs off the altar. And that's kind of how we are sometimes. We, we, we hear a sermon or we read our, we have a quiet time and and or we have a talk with someone and we feel fired up. Oh, we make vows, uh, but then we rescind them the next day, right? And that's the challenge of a living sacrifice is this idea of continually giving God your whole life. Continually making a decision every day to turn your life over to God. But as priests, that's, that's one of the expectations God has on us, that we are meant to live our lives in service to him for the good of the world around us. In our text, verse 9, you know, Peter spells out very clearly one of the main reasons for this. That as his chosen people, as that royal priesthood, that holy nation, that special, special possession, we are meant to declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into his wonderful life. We are meant to tell other people, you know what, here's what God has done. Here's what God has done in my life. He, he has called me out of the darkness. He has brought me into the light. He's given me new purpose and new meaning. And, 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 and man, you got, you got to learn about him. That as priests, that is what me, we are meant to do. That is one of the chief things that, that we are called to do 
you know, and, and we got to, man, we got to be a people that fulfill that vow, that fulfill that command, that are telling other people about God. Again, we can never control how they respond and whether they will respond or not. But what we can do is our part, which is open our mouths. And we don't open our mouths and tell them about self in a sense. We're telling them about God and we're declaring his praises. We're not singing our praises about how great we are. Quite the opposite. We're saying, hey, look, left to myself, I was in darkness. But God, God moved and he brought me out of that darkness and brought me into the light. Gave me great purpose. You know, we got to be a people who fulfill that vow, fulfill that command of declaring the gospel. Thirdly, under the idea of being purposeful, uh, you know, our, our purpose as priests, you know, is prayers. And you think about this, and there's, you know, this is in the New Testament a lot, this imagery that when you pray, your prayers rise before God on his throne as incense. And Revelation has some great images of this. One of, the, you know, one of my favorites there is, is, is in Revelation chapter 5, uh, where it says, then I saw, you know, John in this great vision, right? He says, then I saw a lamb looking as, as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out at all the earth. He went and took a scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. That's an incredible picture of yours, of your prayers, of my prayers. That idea of that scene of just epic proportions. I mean, 24 elders, you know, perhaps the 12 apostles and the 12 patriarchs, this image of, of, of you know, total worship uh, of the lamb that was slain but is alive, who, who is all-knowing and, and all-seeing and has all power. That's what the horns and the eyes all represent. Uh, and there in that epic scene are your prayers. Offered, poured out as incense before the throne. You know, we may sometimes buy into the lie of, hey, what's the point of praying? Does it make any difference or not? Man, that image of what our prayers are is an incredible image, an incredible offering. We may see them as, man, I'm just speaking to nothing. But, man, in, in, in the spiritual realm, those prayers are precious to God. He views them as an offering being made before his throne. Incredible, incredible image there. Uh, of, of, of our prayers as God's priesthood. You know, fourthly, when you think about the purposeful role that we have, the sacrifices and offerings that we make uh, as his priesthood, you know, financial generosity is one of the big ones. You know, several times in the New Testament, it, it, it's mentioned, you know, there in Acts 10, verse 4. Uh, interesting enough, Cornelius, who, who at this point in Acts 10, verse 4, uh, is not a Christian. He hasn't heard the gospel. He hasn't been baptized yet. Uh, but, but an angel comes to Cornelius, and, and the angel tells him uh, that his prayers and his gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. That's incredible. Here's a Gentile, a non-believer in some sense, uh, or at least not like a, a clear believer because he hasn't heard the truth yet, 
He himself, even before he hears the gospel, is, is making prayers, is giving to the poor. And God sees that as a memorial offering. For those of you who gave to, to, to Fiji and, 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 and helped meet the needs uh, physically of people you may never meet and you may never see this side of, uh, of eternity, you know what? That, that amount, whatever you gave, man, it was an offering before God. It was a fragrant offering before God. God, God, God saw what you gave. He saw your heart as you gave to, 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 to the people in Fiji, to the disciples there. And man, God was pleased with it. That's an awesome, awesome thing. You know, interesting enough here in Philippians chapter 4, you can turn there if you want, starting there in verse 15. You know, Paul is talking to the church in, in, in Philippi. Uh, and if you're looking for positive news, that's a great letter to read because Paul has a lot of positive things to say about the disciples there in, in Philippi. Uh, and Paul says to him there in chapter 4, verse 15, he says, Moreover, as you Philippines know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I, what I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul here is lifting up the church and encouraging the church in Philippi for what they had done. And basically what they had done is, is even from the get-go, when they first became, first became followers of Jesus, they were giving. And they were giving to help meet Paul's needs. You know, Paul at, Paul at some points uh, in his ministry, he worked as a tent maker and he had kind of a side job uh, that, that used to provide his, his, for, for his physical needs. Uh, and other times, he was supported by the work of the church, by the church taking up collections. And what's remarkable here about the church in Philippi is they were from a very get-go taking up offerings to help support the work of, of the gospel through Paul, uh, even when Paul wasn't even in their city. You know, we know that, that, that when Paul went to Corinth, Paul didn't take a paycheck from the Corinth church. They were, they were messed up, and he didn't want it to be uh, in any way a, a stumbling block to them understanding the gospel. You can read First and Second Corinthians and, and, and unpack that. But that was made possible because of the church in Philippi, because of their incredible generosity. You know, and, and, and I encourage you, again, for, for a lot of you, you you're very generous. You, you give every month to the, to the work of, of church, and, and you need to see that offering, that gift that you give, as a fragrant offering, acceptable sacrifice made to God. That by giving that offering, man, you, you are enabling the gospel to, to, to spread uh, easier and wider, you know, as, as God takes it and uses it uh, to meet the needs of those who preach the word to you. They are a challenging example, though, because they're giving and they're giving sacrificially, and they're not even really receiving, though obviously they received a letter from Paul thanking them for it, uh, you know, but they were supporting him in a different city, you know, and I encourage you guys, I, you know, in, in in April, we had one of our best contributions uh, for, for, for the Perth Church, uh, at least as far as, you know, the last two, three years that I've been here. Uh, and we collected about 18,500 for, for the month, which was awesome, you know. 
unfortunately, in May, we also had one of our worst. It was like 12-8. And, and we know that this is tumultuous uh, times financially for, 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 for many of us. But, but man, we got we to gotta understand that giving is a part of being a priest. That God uses it as, hey, here, here's one of our things we need to do. This is what God sees as a sacrifice and an offering. And, 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 a, and a lot of you give regularly. And, and you give generously, and that's awesome. But the reality is, some of us don't. Some of us don't give regularly. And we got to think about that. We got to understand that, hey, God sees us as priests, and this is one of the things God is pretty clear on on what it means to be an offering. Because, you know, right now it's great. I mean, you know, we, we have uh, Michelle and I are employed full time, Pam is employed part time, uh, you know, but, but as we continue to grow, and, and you know, praise God, we, we have continued to grow, and we're nearing 100 members, which is awesome. But, but the reality is we need more staff, not less staff. We need more people that can help uh, advance the gospel and to help equip the church for the great works of service that we are all meant to do as his priesthood. And so I encourage you to think about this idea of, okay, I'm a priest. What does that mean for my life? Uh, well, it, you're in it together. It's not just you solo as a priest. You have privileged access to God, which is incredible. Uh, but you have a role to fulfill. I encourage you to think about, man, how, how are my sacrifices in offering? How am I doing giving my whole life? How am I doing declaring the gospel? How am I doing in my prayer life? How am I doing in my giving? All of these are roles we have as God's priests. Amen? Secondly, and much quicker, I promise, because that was pretty thorough, uh, is we'll talk about this idea of being permanent residents. And this is a great concept, and we could spend, you know, another hour on this, which would be, you know, a lot of time in front of a computer, right? But Peter writes there in 11 and 12, he says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. You know, here Paul, P Peter writes, and he, and he uses this phrase that, hey, you know what you are? You are foreigners and exiles. Foreigners and exiles, you know, and it's kind of a difficult concept to grasp in some sense, but, you know, it's very much like Australia's status of permanent resident, right? You know, I am still a permanent resident of Australia, right? Uh, I've applied for citizenship, but because of COVID, who knows what's happening with it all. Someday I'll become a citizen, but for right now, my status is permanent resident, and, and I got to renew it every five years because the reality is I'm a foreigner living in this land. And so Peter is saying, hey, look, you got to see your life here on earth from this lens. You're a foreigner and an exile. This world, as great as it is in Australia, which is pretty great, is not your home. You know, some of you, you, you do FIFO, right? Uh, and, you, and you go out and you spend two weeks away, uh, you know, and, and, you know, you know, even if you've gone on holiday back in the day when we were allowed to travel uh, and you're gone for a while, there is, there is, uh, there's always something missing when you're on holiday. Everything doesn't fit perfectly like it does at home a lot of times. Right? The bed, no matter how comfortable it is, is probably not as comfortable as your bed. Right? Uh, the, 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 you know, wherever it is, wherever you go, you know, there's something about the familiarity and the comfortability that comes with home that just brings peace to your life. You know, and Peter here is saying, you know what, you got to realize that life here in this world, you will always be a foreigner. You are, in fact, an exile. This world is not your home. This theme has run throughout the entire Bible from the very beginning, right? Genesis, you know, one and two, 
And three, you see God. You see him creating everything, and it's, and it's good. Everything he creates, good, good, good. He makes man. He puts man, you know, Adam and Eve there in the garden, and, and it's all good. And it's awesome, and it's, you know, it's paradise. But man, a huge book, the Bible, 66 different books, the, the third chapter of the first book, we lose paradise. It's not until the last chapter of the last book is that paradise brought back. And so the Bible as a whole, when Peter here specifically is trying to tell us, look, you are a foreigner here and now. That it will, this, this world will never perfectly fit. Even as a Christian, you're going to have times that are incredibly challenging, incredibly difficult, because there's a reality of that this world is not your home. You have a home, and that home is in heaven. And when Christ, as Colossians 3, you know, 1 and 2 talks about, when Christ, who is your life, when he appears, you're also going to be with him. At that moment, you're going to find that fulfillment, that sense of home, that sense of belonging, because your true citizenship, as Paul tells the church in Philippi, has always been in heaven since the day you were baptized. And until that day, you are going to be a foreigner. And you are an exile uh, in this world. You know, and, and, and you, you think about, okay, that's awesome to think. Okay, I've got a home in heaven. We sing about it, uh, and it's great. But, but your status here and now as a permanent resident is not always easy. And we tend to go to different extremes and get this wrong. You know, sometimes we go to the extreme of, of we're in this country, but this country is not our home, but we assimilate into it. And we become no different than the citizens of, of, of this world. We adopt all their values. We adopt their viewpoints and their perspectives when, you know what, we're not meant to assimilate. At other times in, in church history, Christians have gone to the other extreme and just fully withdraw. You know, some, you know, there's a period, you can read about the, the monks in the Middle Ages, you know, living on top of poles in the middle of the desert uh, and only having human contact when someone puts some food down at the bottom and they pull it up with their little rope and that's how they have human interaction. That's also not what God wants you to do for your life, right? You are, uh, you are a foreigner and an exile, but man, you are still living in the world that you are in. And this is this tension that Jesus talks about when he talks about you are in the world, but you are not meant to be of the world. That we are living here and now in, 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 uh, on earth, you know what? But, but we can't withdraw fully from them, from the world. But we also can't assimilate and just become like the world. We've got to find this middle ground where we live as, in some sense, permanent residents. Right? We're in this world and we're functioning as priests, as a bridge to, to, to God for the world around us. Again, this is challenging, but, but, but thankfully, Peter gives us some pretty practical things, right? Verses 11 and 12 there, as you can see on the screen, he talks about, look, we need to abstain from sinful desires which, warge, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. You know, Peter here shows us kind of this perfect balance, right? that we are meant to abstain from the sinful desires that a lot of the world indulges in. So we are meant to, to be different. We are, there is an element where we are meant to be uh, withdrawn. We're not meant to assimilate and, and, and take on all the same desires and follow those desires like the world does. We're meant to abstain from them. But, but at the same time, we're meant to live lives uh, that, that are radically different. 
to live such good lives, right? This is Jesus' language of, of being a light in the darkness, right? Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds, right? That you're not so far withdrawn from the world that they can't see your life and see how you're different, but you're not, so, you're not also assimilated into the world. You haven't become just like the world. Uh, and, and so, you know, because you're abstaining from those sinful desires, you're finding this middle balance, you know, and Timothy Keller does, uh, you know, talks about the same concept, you know, and he talks about, look, when we get this right, when we get verses 11 and 12 right, um, that, that we will be offensive and attractive at the same time. We'll be offensive because you know what, when, when other people join in, in various things, you won't. And by not joining in, uh, they'll be convicted of doing wrong because they'll see, you know, you know, that's not right. You know, they tell a joke and you don't laugh. Everyone inevitably looks at you and asks, why aren't you laughing? And then when you explain why, why you're not laughing, right, uh, they're going to persecute you at times, right? But there are going to be other times where people will look at your life and they will see, you know what, you are in this world, but you do not function the way everyone else functions. You're, you're, you're going through the same difficulties and hardships and trials of life, but you know what? There's something different about the way you suffer. There's something different about the way you face hardships. You know, I've shared this before. You know, it's one of my favorite stories from, from when I've, you know, my time here in, in, in Perth. Uh, but many of you guys know Made, our, our great Nigerian brother that, that's part of fellowship. You know, when Made first started coming to church, uh, he, uh, uh, you know, for lack of a better description, he wasn't super open at first. Uh, we were trying to do Bible studies with him, and he, you know, I don't know, he didn't really seem to be that interested. But Made, to his credit, continued to seek God and continued to come to church. Uh, you know, and Made, you know, had been attending church, I think, for like four or five months. And, and you remember the period where, where Sam and Mia went through all, all the trials of Nathaniel having a brain tumor and having surgeries, uh, you know, in, in the church praying and fasting for those. You know, and I remember one Sunday, Made, uh, I think he said it to, to maybe Cameron, uh, you know what? I see them going through this and they face that trial with a different perspective than, than, than other people would. They're not turning on God and cursing God. They're staying faithful to God and they're clinging to God. You know, and that's that great example of, of how we are in the world. We're permanent residents. So you know what? All the afflictions, all the troubles, all the trials that come from life on earth, we get them as well. We're not exempt from them. But, but we are different and how we handled them, and how we faced them, and how we react to them. Because our home is in heaven, and our values are shaped from there. And so that makes us a different people. And so there will be times where, yes, the world will persecute you because you're different, and, and people don't understand it, and they don't like how your life shines and reveals darkness in their life. But there will be other times where people will see those good deeds, and they will be attracted to the Christian life as a byproduct of that. And that balance, that incredible balance of being persecuted, but at the same time, Attractive. Persecuted because you're different, but attractive as well because you're different. You know, that's the privilege we have of being priests and being foreigners and exiles. Being a people that can help other people come to know God. And so I encourage you to think about those two identities. We all have identities and we tend to shape them by our culture or by our profession. But you know what? The chief one is you are a Christian. You are a Christian South African. You are a Christian Australian. You are a Christian American. Uh, it is the chief one. 
We all have different professions and so many people try to find their identity in their profession. I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer, I'm a builder, I'm an engineer. No, 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 I'm a Christian engineer. I'm a Christian doctor. That I'm, my role is a priest and the reality is that my home is in heaven and I'm a citizen there. It permeates every aspect of my identity. And it, it makes my life radically different. It enables me to, to, to be a light to the world around us. That's the challenge for us. And I encourage you to think about those things this week uh, and, and uh, fulfill your role as making uh, you know, the, the, the task that God has given to you, uh, making that come to light day in and day out.